Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 351. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Where's Connor? Who? You know who. Connor Kent. We're going to talk about him later. Wait, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> no one wants to hear us talk about Connor Kent. I disagree. I'm sure there's people. <laughs> no one. No one cares. The, the, the ship has sailed. Connor's been uh, sailed. new book coming out. Thank you. Just not today. He's not Superman. He's Superboy. <laughs> so I got confused. <laughs> yeah, I like how John was on your Superboy, but he's now Superman and Connor's well, still somehow Superboy. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's the haircut. That high fade does him no favors. So. Oh, dear. This is a DC Comics podcast. We get together, we talk about the DC Comics we read this week. Uh, coming up on today's show, we'll be talking about Batman 134, Adventures of Superman, John Kent, Issue 2, The Flash 796, Matt Red, Poison Ivy, Issue 11, and I'll be doing a Patreon book of American Vampire, Issue 31. I was going to do both my Patreon books, but then I looked ahead to next week and saw that there's even less books out next week, so... No way! Oh yeah, there is, like, we have, like, two books next week, Matt, is... I have, uh, maybe I have three, I don't know. Ugh. If you still want to read Wildcats, you've got three. I Yeah, I might have to. <laughs> uh, hopefully we get solicits next week, because I, I think we need yeah. it. Uh, otherwise you'll or, be getting uh, sure. some, I don't know, that'll try stand-up comedy routine for half an hour. Uh, that's not good for anybody. <laughs> I'm an acquired taste. Oh dear. So yeah, so welcome to the uh, show, everyone. Uh, it's been almost ten years, and I'm not sure if Pete still likes me or not. Uh, <laughs> that's been uh, ten years. Yeah. yeah, almost. Come, 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 fall. Oh, yeah, I mean, I didn't remember what time of the year it was, but yeah, I mean, oh. twenty thirteen was. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Well, yep. Yep. Connor. Connor. Nobody likes Connor. So. Yeah, yeah. Connor was uh, about the same time, maybe slightly later, mm -hmm. like maybe a year later. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about all this. What, yeah. what have I done with my last decade? Dude, I remember us talking about um, future Marvel movies on our old movie show, and you talking about how you're going to be in your 30s when some of these are coming out. Because that, that's how long ago this was. My prediction was true. Yes, 100%. <laughs> but yeah, I just remember, and it, and it was so far away. As the way that you said that. You're like, we're going to get into the 2020s. I'm going to be in my 30s. Oof. Yeah. Uh, what I did not predict back then was how little I would care about any of them come <laughs> the 2020s. I mean, that goes for superhero movies in general, not just the Marvel ones. And that's but, uh, true, that's true. You know. So, uh, we, we had not been uh, besieged yet by, mm -hmm. by a certain director, so... Well, not 2013, Man of Steel came out in 2013. Yeah, but we didn't have the huge problems, you know. We had problems, it wasn't like it is now, you know. Oh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Batman v Superman levels. Yeah. I, I mean, there's no yeah. denying that. So, but yeah, time time sucks. Time's a number, and as we all know, numbers are are stupid. That numbers are great, Matt. There's always time uh, for a comic salt top ten. You even said you segued me into it and everything. I know, I know. That's what you did. Yeah, so we'll look at uh, the top selling books on Comicsology as of right now. They're up in order. Uh, we'll look at Tuesdays, which is DCs, and then we'll look at Wednesday for the rest of the industry and see how things are going. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what do you think number one for this week's DC books is, Matt? I'm going to guess Batman 134. 
Yeah, it's Batman one three four. You don't have a lot to pick from, admittedly. So no, but it was. It was I was going to pick a Bat book, and I'm glad I went with that one. Yeah, Batman one three four. Number two is Adventures of Superman John Ken. Hey. Uh, number three is The Flash seven nine six. That's exactly the top three I'd expect. Uh, mm-hmm. it's also the three books that I read from this week, so yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and then you got number four is Batman and the Joker the Deadly Duel, and then number five is the Joker the Man Who Stopped Laughing. Uh, number six is Poison Ivy, issue 11. Uh, number seven is Fables, 158. So, yep. uh, that's that. And then we're actually into trades after that. Uh, num- number eight is uh, Batman, volume one, failsafe. So the first arc of uh, Zarsky's uh, run. Oh, uh, better days. And then number nine is Icon versus Hardware, issue two. And then number 10 is back to a trade, a collection, which is DC versus Vampires, volume two. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, Super Light Publishing Week. Next week is pretty much the same, although it's even less of the week. There's less books next week that we are specifically reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still just the small, pretty much, overall, in terms of publishing. Uh, really weird and lopsided. I, I, you know, I, I really hope when all these new books are launching throughout the year, they, they mostly go in weeks one and two. It would be mm-hmm. convenient. But, yeah, that's uh, the top ten from the week. Really no surprises whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you think the number one book is from Wednesday, Matt? So this is where I have to make a decision if I want to go X-Men or if I want to go Saga. So I'm going to go with Immoral X-Men 3 because it has a Sins of Sinister banner at the top. You are correct. <sighs> number two is Saga 63. There we go. So yeah, you, you, were, you, you were right on the pulse. Mm-hmm. It was one of those two. Yep, yep. Uh, and you got it right. Uh, number three is Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, number four is Wolverine 32, which is still Ben Percy. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scarlet Witch issue four is number five. Number six is Spider-Man issue seven. That's the Dan Slott and Bakley series. Uh, number seven is Rogan Gambit issue two. Um, I read a Rogan Gambit book by uh, Kelly Thompson like yep. three years ago. So they've got another book with the same title, yeah. which I I'm guess is not- if- yeah, go ahead. It's not that weird in the sense that obviously Amazing Spider-Man always just immediately mm-hmm. reboots, but it's just kind of this one's more specific in niche, I guess. Yeah, but, this is Stephanie Phillips of Harley Quinn fame uh, yeah. doing her gambit. So, and then Scarlet Witch is Steve Orlando. So, but Sarah Pacelli on art. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really like Gambit. Um, no, no kidding. So, you know, I read the Kelly Thompson book because I like Kelly Thompson. Uh, I can't say Stephanie Phillips makes me want to read a book of characters that I don't really care about. So, uh, heavy skip on that for me. Uh, number eight is Star Wars Hidden Empire. Number nine is Captain America Sentinel of Liberty. And uh, number 10 is Star Wars issue 33. So, uh, maybe because celebrations this week, Star Wars books did slightly better than normal. I don't know. Maybe. More maybe. than the people's minds the zeitgeist if you will yeah. uh so yeah that's pretty much uh i'm noticing there's a plat of the apes book at number 15 oh. by david f walker who we uh we've encountered a few times yeah uh five issue mini starting uh i assume yeah that's marvel has to be because fox at, on it it's therefore, 20th century yeah, yeah it's on the comic geeks it's right here it says marvel yeah therefore disney on it therefore it must be marvel uh but the the Marvel branding is really it was black and white in the corner at the bottom. It's not the mm-hmm. normal placement. It's not the red. It was very mm-hmm. subtle versus their usual branding. It looks like an IDW banner. 
it does yeah um but i mean that's smart based off of you know people think of idw as that co-branded you know so Mm -hmm. but yeah um trying to see what this one's about if it's if it's pre if it's set pre the arrival of of um what's his name charlton heston oh i don't know uh yeah uh, it sounds oh, like it might be. He's talking about the virus that's spreading out mm-hmm. throughout the planet, so it might be a prequel to the yeah original movie. Hmm. But yeah, cool, cool. I, uh, when we went to the Tom Devlin's Monster Museum, there's at the end there's uh, like a like a movie theater set up, and you can watch. They they just play documentaries around you know um, movie making and special effects. And I sat there and watched a half hour's worth of this Planet of the Apes documentary about the makeup and got heavily invested in uh, in the story of this uh, reconnection of two guys that worked on the film back in the 60s that had a big falling out. So, um, what are, you know, wouldn't have thought about that other, but it's cool that there's a comic book. Now, keep it in the cultural. Yeah. Um, oh, there you go. Most top tens. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing super exciting to note this week, but there it be yet. So we can move on. We do have not so much news, but we do have a movie trailer to talk about. Yeah. This week, because a trailer came out for a movie that I keep forgetting exists, and that is Blue Beetle, <laughs> which is coming out this summer. So, uh, what were your thoughts on the trailer, Matt? All right. Uh, can you guys uh, get ready for this? I, I really like the trailer. Uh, if you got a guess, that would have been a positive take. Uh, it looks like Blue Beetle. It looks like the Jaime Reyes stuff that I've read. Um, and it, has, it seems like it has the right tone. There, there was a uh, second, though, where I thought they really have things up at the start, where it's mm-hmm. the, the camera's coming in, and he's on, like, a, uh-huh. next to a pool, and he looks like a rich guy. He looks like he's, you know, he's yeah. a one-percenter, yeah. and he's, like, looking out over his Tony Stark-like house. Mm-hmm. And then it does, like, a sort of little twist where he's actually just working mm-hmm. there as a cleaner. And, uh-huh. Uh, but for a second, I thought, "What if they done it high me?" He's yeah, like, yeah. he's like, he's a poor high school student. Every, everyone, everyone's Bruce Wayne now in the, <laughs> in the MCU or in the DCU. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I again, um, and, and also reading the graduation day, there's a lot there because, like, as far as I was familiar with Jaime, he's from El Paso, and that's where the original series takes place. Mm. Here, it opens up in Palmera City, which is kind of a a take on, I think, Los Angeles. It's fictional, uh, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fictional. Um, and of course, they're dealing with him going in at Cord Industries and dealing with Victoria Cord, and there's that type of stuff in there. But man, we'd see the bug, you know, Ted's, Ted's, you know, kind of, it's not a spaceship. What is it? It's like just, a, just, um, just a ship. <laughs> an airship, yeah. yeah. Um, and you got the, the Dan Garrett suit, and the, there's like, there's a lot there. Um, I mean, the majority of the trailer is very much his like first interaction with the the mm-hmm. beetle, and then you know mm-hmm. the costume forming around him, and yep. a couple of big moments with him in the costume, notably slicing down the middle of a bus. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, it looks like a blue beetle movie. It looks mm-hmm. about as faithful as you could have. I think the type of tone of this trailer is something I'm just sick of, just because all trailers mm-hmm. have this kind of. Quick cut. Let's throw in the joke here. Um, there's, you know, there's a joke about Batman at the end, or yeah. <laughs> uh, boy, did that did that cause some ripples. Ah, people. Uh, I I honestly have not seen a single bit of uh discussion oh, about yeah, this I, online. <laughs> I, I, people people getting upset and then people coming to defense and being like, "Well, 
compare if this is supposed to be the Affleck Batman, it makes sense versus, you know, the the some of the other Batman in live action. And I don't think it TV. matters. So, like this is just one dude's opinion. Who cares? Right, 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 right. But yeah. <laughs> well, you know, pe people like Batman, and if you tell them that, you know, he's on the wrong side of things, they get upset. So Yeah. Um, I mean the the still look good. Uh, the mm -hmm. the voice talking to him seemed, you know, like it, like it all felt authentic enough to what Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle should feel mm -hmm. like. Uh, which, which is good. I yeah. I think it's this of it's just this weird thing where I'm I'm looking at it as an adaptation and I'm going yeah as an adaptation this looks fine but as a movie I don't know if I care that much about it if that makes sense. I mean. Caring about an adaptation and, and not, I mean, I, this, had this came in and the trailer been not like, not zippy, but I don't know. There was something in the trailer that it really kind of nailed the Jaime Reyes, you know, coming of age, coming into himself as a superhero, you know, that I just appeals to me in general. If this had been kind of more of, of, you know, what we had gotten with some of these other, like even the Shazam trailer, where I was kind of like, eh, I'm not too sure about this. Um, it looks good, but I don't know. Uh, like, I don't know. It looks like I want to go see it in theaters. It, will I? We'll see. Uh, you know, so it's coming out in August. It's still a while away. So. No, I, I just mean there's a separation here. I can, I can acknowledge that it looks like it's adapting things well enough, but there's nothing about the trailer that actually makes me excited to, to watch this as a movie. Like, it doesn't look like it, you know... Uh, there's not really much hint about the villain in it or what they're doing with like the plot beyond he's got the suit and what does the suit want from right. him and you know like all that stuff which yeah. is fine they can save that for a second trailer I'm not, I'm not yeah really, I feel I'm not, this is just the, the not, superhero movie trailer right where it's like yeah you guys are familiar enough with superhero movies that we're gonna give but, you a taste but, that, that's the thing though I've seen a hundred superhero mm -hmm. movie trailers so nothing about this was that exciting it, it just looked like another superhero movie hmm. so and it looks fine but I'm not like, you know. Yeah, the graphics don't look wonky. It looks like well, it looks well made so far. It looks very bright, which I appreciate, because um, that that beetle costume is kind of crazy. So the fact that it is that you know vivid blue, you know, I, I appreciate that, uh, especially compared to where some of the colors were on the other DC movies. You know, um, they they're choosing to go almost the opposite way, so. It's interesting, actually, because I saw, you know, I think James Gunn said something like, mm -hmm. oh, no, I've seen Blue Beetle, it's great, and, you know, it mm -hmm. can very much be a part of this new universe. I I almost feel like that's a little bit of damage control, because they realized mm -hmm. that when they announced this whole new direction, yeah. that it kind of made all the things coming out before this new mm -hmm. universe starts feel, like, redundant, or feel like, oh, these can't really go anywhere then, because they're kind of left out in the dirt. So, and maybe this will continue if, if they can just tie it into the new yeah. thing. That's fine. But I mean, if it, it feels he, it feels like they're coming back and trying to sort of like you know tape over. Oh yeah. no! Don't worry, don't worry. This can yeah. be important. This this is important. Yeah. We swear. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of that it's going like, on. It's like when a little kid tears up money by accident, and you have to tape up the money to to take it in. And be like, yeah, oops, we're kind of you know it still works, right? Um, because yeah, I felt the same about Shazam, where God had said the same thing, where you know not as glowingly. As it be like, yeah, no, there there can be room for Shazam in the new place. He's just focused right now. <laughs> After that movie's box office, I don't think there's going to be room for Shazam. Yeah, I mean, I'll let you guys know when I watch it next week on uh, at home on HBO Max. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but man, movies are expensive now. That's why I didn't go see Mario last night. You know, um, 
Gotta gotta pick my spots. Uh, I'll be seeing it before I review it during the week. So uh, I'm not. I'm not. Is that how that works? You see it before you review it? Yeah, you I do. I know it's a it's a radical concept. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not. I'll say the lukewarm reviews for it have not filled me with uh, much yeah. hope. Um, although it has like pissed me off just to see people because people seem to like the movie and they're mad at yeah. crit- critics for being too harsh or whatever. And, this. and it just it just winds me up. I'm like, I'm more likely to side with the critics than I am with the regular people here's, at this point. <laughs> but but here's my point: it doesn't have to be critics versus regular people. If you want to go see the movie, you're oh. gonna go see it regardless of what the reviews say, right? Like, I was bound set and determined to see John Wick 4. There was no way that I wasn't going to go based off of bad reviews. You know what I mean? Like, so if you want to see Mario, who cares what the critics say? Go and enjoy it. Like, I just, I don't get this at all. Like, especially with something as ubiquitous as Mario. Like... And if it sucks, I'll tell you it sucks after I've watched it. (laughs) Right. Pete actually is honest about that type of stuff. Pete does not give a crap about you know he he is pretty honest he's pretty he's got that uh what is that it's not a scientific but like clinical you're very clinical when it comes to your movie reviews you know versus some of my other friends who you know will remain nameless that when they like something they really 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 like it regardless of its flaws it's the best thing ever yes it moved them they felt something move inside them and it touched them the soul. We could be talking about one of two people, and it applies to both. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, and I and I, I tend to go more that side. But like, as I was was talking to Ash this morning, I was like, I'm the guy that loves Halloween three after being told his entire life that it sucked. Yet, you know, Pete had me watch it when we covered Halloween all those years ago, and it's like my favorite Halloween movie to watch. You know, is it better than the the first one? Absolutely not. But do I enjoy watching it because it's this weird thing that wants to be something different? Absolutely. You know, so just if you want to see something and if you think it's worth your dollar, it's worth your monies, go see it. If you don't, then like, it's not it's not really about that, though. It's, it's like there's nothing wrong with liking a bad movie. I like lots of mm-hmm. bad movies. The, the, right. pro- the problem is, is that it, it extends from this weird tribalism, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it's something you see with anything that can be split into. It can be video game consoles, mm-hmm. uh, the Xbox people versus the PlayStation people. Yeah. It can be Marvel versus DC people. All these things. I feel yeah. like there's this thing where people get butthurt if something that they want to like isn't reviewed well. Even mm-hmm. if it's still some, even if the movie's still something they'll end up liking yeah. regardless. It may not be. It may still just suck to them no. anyway. But... If they don't, if they, you know, if they get, if there's negative reviews for something that they like or want to like, it becomes, oh, we have to distinguish between us and them. They're critics, they're film reviewers. They don't like things the same way people do, but I don't know. I don't know. It it comes back to, uh, because this was uttered in the build up to Mario, the, the, it's for the fans. Nothing's more of a red flag to me than the sentence, it's for the fans. Like, fans shouldn't have standards, they should. Yeah, yeah, and and I agree with that too. But there there should be stuff in there that is, you know, accessible to like longtime fans of of Mario. You know, like I know I don't think Yoshi's in it. And when I told my wife, she kind of got a little disappointed because Yoshi's her favorite Mario character. Well, they gotta save stuff for the sequel. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and me as a DK fan, as Donkey Kong, like I'm stoked that he's part of the first one. So you know, um, my the one movie that broke me of this really was Green Lantern. 
because I remember those reviews coming out and I was taking hits on all sides. I have one particular friend that used that as a, look, see, this is why DC sucks. This is why Marvel's better. And I was like, bro, you don't even read comics. All right. Like you, you only have up until when did that come out? 2011. Yeah. Up to that point we had, you know, I mean, this person is just an idiot. Cause I was asking them to do with, one company no. versus the other. And I remember getting so defensive. I was like, no, Green Lantern's good. And then I saw it. And I was like, what have I said? <laughs> like, you know, but yeah, I, I got into that. And then I was like, oh, maybe things that I like can be bad. And that's okay. You know, we'll get them next time. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm still going to go see Mario at some point. Maybe on a discount day. I don't know. But man, ticket price is too damn high right now. Especially yeah. if people I mean, I, are kids. I, I'm just sitting for review. I, I have no attachment to Mario enough to actually just want to see it. <laughs> yeah. But we're doing a video game adaptation season mm-hmm. on Collector's Cut. Um, in fact, just this weekend, our Street Fighter the Movie review went out on Mail Fuzz Movies uh, or the Collector's Cut podcast feed, wherever you like. So if you want to go hear me uh, talk about how great uh, Raul Julia is as M. Bison... And how that movie's kind of amazing to watch just because of that. Then yeah, as as he was and... dealing with a very bad, I think it was, I forget what kind of cancer it was, maybe stomach cancer or pancreatic, mm. like super, super terrible. He still showed up on set ready to go every yeah. day. And one of the like, stupidest movies yeah. ever, and he still gave it 110%. Mm-hmm. It's for baffling. For his kid. He did not know what Street Fighter was, but his kid wanted him to do it. So he did it. As he was sick and on, you know, it's his last role, right? Did he have a posthumous, or is, is this his last one? No, uh, it was, it was a dedication in the credits at the end for okay. him. So I mean, yeah. So it was one of the last things he went out. He was trying to make his kid happy by giving it his all as M. Bison. So now that that's very admirable, you know. Yeah. So that's just what I, we're doing. Super Mario ninety three, which I feel will be vindicated after all these lukewarm reviews of the new one. Uh, and then we're rounding out the season with Uncharted, which mm. mm-hmm. uh, the pain. Uh, so, yeah. Um, did you see the Sonic movies? I have seen them. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. I just, I I know you weren't covering them, but um, I didn't I didn't realize if you had seen them or not. No. I watched the second one on the plane last year when I was oh, okay. traveling home. It was a plane movie. Yeah. And that's my review of it. It was a plain movie. Yeah. I same same friend from years ago. And if he hears us, he's probably gonna be mad. Um, try to get me to watch it because his kid loved it. And I was like, "But your kid is six. Like the stuff that I liked when I was six. You know, I get it. I'm glad that you enjoyed it with your kid. You know, but I I don't have any attachments to to Sonic, so I'll take your word for it that it was good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So that's the other thing, man. My friends with kids riding hard for like these animated movies that I wouldn't otherwise know about who we like guys, I, I get it. So, you know, I'm glad you enjoyed sea monster or whatever that was. Sea beast, you know, great. I'm not going to watch it. Never heard of it, but I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll take your word I think for it, it. It's from the guys that did, uh, um, Moana and I forget another, but it's another one of these. I think it's, it might be Sony animation. I don't think it's Illumination, but yeah. You know, I I still haven't seen Disney's last one, um, Strange Worlds, that came out in November, and, you know, without a peep. I know it's on Disney+, Plus. I just haven't had time. 
Uh, I don't think very many people have watched that one because no. I hadn't heard of it until someone yeah. told me. Mm-hmm. So, well. anywho, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that pivoted into just sort of general movie talk. But yeah, Blue Beetle mm-hmm. trailer's out. It looks all right. Uh, just so pe- people are expecting me to bring this up just real quick. Mm-hmm. This is all I'll say is, is the new indie trailer made me cry. So, uh, you know, that's that. Both is as bad as Crystal response. Skull, though. Huh? Both is as bad as Crystal Skull. No, don't you? How dare you, sir? Hey, but I liked Crystal Skull, so that's a loaded comment. <laughs> There's parts I do not like, and I will. I'm not going to tell you it's a good movie. I enjoyed it though. I watch it when it's on TV. Um, but George Lucas needed to be reined in on certain parts, man. Um, so I, I don't think it will be. I trust in Mangold. Again, Mangold made me cry in, in Logan. Hard, hard to look cool when you're crying to Johnny Cash, man. Uh, so I, I trusted him. Plus, he made me care about cars and Ford v Ferrari, which is my favorite movie of that year. So, you know, I, I trust in him. I don't think it'll be. So I think it'll be the lesser of of them. Just, are, are you a Raiders guy or a Crusades guy? Uh, Raiders between the two. Okay, me too. Say so do I like you? <laughs> I mean, I like them all, but you know, it's my order. Raiders is my top. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, Raiders Crusade, then Temple, mm-hmm. then a giant pet, and then Crystal Skull. Gotcha. Um, and we'll see where the Dial of Destiny ends up. For we're yeah. doing all those in collector's cut, so that we, so we end with the new one when it comes out. Nice. So that'll I be will... June time. Yeah, June thirtieth. So yeah, so throughout June we're doing all the other ones. Not, not, not that I have it marked on the calendar or anything. Of course I have a day off from work. Of <laughs> Like, it's my it's my holiday, so. Oh. Hooey. Anywho, let's uh talk about comic books, shall we? Uh, trying uh, to not talk about Batman. <laughs> we're going to talk about <laughs> Batman issue one hundred and thirty-four. <clears throat> Chip writing with Mike Hawthorne on the art. So, this run uh, has been. Uh-huh. It's had its ups. It's had its downs. It's had its uh, <laughs> creamy middles. Um. So and it's precipitous drop into the abyss. <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? So the failsafe arc was mostly good, but there was mm-hmm. constantly these little ideas that were like, really, we're doing this? But then it ended up being really good. So for the most part, yeah. I didn't mind. Uh, then we went to this, you know, sh- jumping to a different universe story arc. And it's like, why are we doing this? I don't know if I like this this idea that much, but it's well written enough. And it's, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's treading along. Definitely like it less than the failsafe arc, though. Um, and then I think it was last time it was like, "Hey, this guy on this universe, this is this world's Joker, but he never became the Joker." And it was like, eh, you know, I'm not really sure how I feel about them doing this. Whatever, I can't even remember what I said, but you know, it was it was one of these things where like he might be able to thread the needle if he does something interesting. As he's supposed to be the Joker, but in this world without Batman, maybe he's he's up to some good. Right, there was this. Maybe there's going to be a twist. I mean, I, I never really suspected that, but mm-hmm. ultimately, uh, this issue I feel plummeted me into. I don't think this run can fully recover from this for me. Which, Mm-mm. which is basically to say, like the rest of it might be fine, and I, you know, I'm not going to stop reading it. It's still, uh, it's still relatively well written and yeah. an easy read. And if nothing else, it's probably going to be entertaining to talk about, but. 
this this issue and what this this arc has been doing is just kind of like there's no way i'll ever look at this run as a special run anymore like this this is always going to be kind of a weird run even if the rest of it's great to me now i appreciate zadarsky for taking big swings um however this one where he tries to explain some of the motivation i just kind of blanked out Joe, the sad part is though is i actually think there's a concept in here that's Uh kind of interesting but I think the execution is just so bland that it's impossible to really enjoy. So yeah. basically what we find out here is that you know, the rich guy who's the Joker but not the Joker, uh, you know, he's Red Mask, right? Maybe we found out last issue, I can't remember. But no, it was this issue. It was he's this re- issue, right? Yeah. Which makes sense, you know, because Red Hood, Red Mask instead. There was right. kind of a hint, right? Whatever. So he starts monologuing to Batman and it turns out in that this part of it, on its own in a vacuum, I can see this been a great mm-hmm. story where the Joker, this Joker on this earth mm-hmm. had some encounter with the multiverse where he actually saw through the eyes of the Joker, right? Like the real mm-hmm. Joker that we all know from the, the main universe. And the feeling of freedom that he has because he's totally like left behind all reason and because he's completely unhinged and you know he's he's free to just be whatever he feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, you know, this version of him became obsessed with reaching that, and he's looked through his eyes many times. He's seen this Batman through the real Joker's eyes, and his goal is to somehow have that same transition. He wants to create, he wants to turn himself into the Joker because mm-hmm. the idea of like the man, and I almost got like a like a like a Lovecraftian, like, like someone mm-hmm. who's trying to unlock Cthulhu or something, but in this case... He's trying to, yeah, he's trying to understand the madness, but understanding the madness will only drive you more mad. Right. That yeah. that all sounds like, it's on paper, I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't like that we've named him and we're saying this, this yeah. is who the Joker is before he's the Joker, but on some level, I could see like a weird, um... I don't, it's, it's the easy way to say it, but I can see like a weird, obscure David Lynch version of this story that I love, where you're sort of unlocking that it's this guy trying to, uh-huh. you know, access this really weird thing, this deep, dark, like, insanity <laughs> in his head, and that's, you know, what the real Joker is, and he's trying to reach that. That's all very interesting. Yeah. The problem is that it's just a villain monologuing and explaining his yeah. story to Batman. There's even a line at the start of the scene where he says, oh, I've never gotten to tell anyone my genius plan before. Oh, so you're about to then. We're about to have the villain monologuing about what they're doing. I, I just, I, yeah. I didn't really like it all that much, especially since all it kept doing was solidifying that this guy, whatever his name is, is what the Joker's name is. And then mm-hmm. to just add insult to injury, we then spend half the issue with this universe's version of Ghostmaker. <laughs> fighting Batman. Ghostbreaker, Pete. Well, he's Ghostbreaker here, but he's Ghost... Yeah, because you know, he has Venom now. And, you know, all it is is they're fighting and Ghostmaker's like, hmm, you've trained with so-and-so, and you've trained with so-and-so. Which, this is fascinating. As as someone that enjoyed the night, I, I will say I enjoyed Zdarsky tying that in just a little bit. Um, But <laughs> having to deal with Ghostmaker again? <laughs> not, like, not for, I, 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 I stopped reading and I was like, when is this part over? Oh, okay, it's only a couple pages. I'll just breeze through. Like, cause... I appreciate the, the the respect to recent continuity. I do. I, mm-hmm. I hate when writers mm-hmm. completely ignore what just happened in the other run. You know, I, I do love mm-hmm. that. But I don't, I just, I just don't like this character. So the last yeah, thing yeah. I needed was more of this. And then on top of that, you've got a kind of maybe evil Superman locked down in this Arkham basement along with so, uh, 
Lex Did Luthor. Did you understand that? What, you mean where Batman was able to intimidate him so much that he just left because he's effing with, Batman? <laughs> with with an evil eye? Like, he gave him the the stanky eye. He, he gives him the Undertaker stare. Yeah, like... Batman, he says in his narration, roll the eyes back, do the voice, and I'm like, <laughs> all right. I don't get it, so, like... I just, there's been these little hints, though, because, you know, like, when Batman survived free-falling from the moon yeah. down to Earth, or uh, just other moments where there's a little bit, he's just a little bit too good at something, and we kind of like, oh, is this Zarsky playing into what we don't like about Batman a little bit? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say this as someone who loves Batman and thinks Batman's fantastic. You're obviously a bit more mixed, but... Yeah. Um, you know, we've had those problems with him, and I feel like this issue is like, I can stare down and scare Superman. And I'm like... Which... I just... This is a convict Superman that's been locked in this Arkham cave system that, like, really a bad day, a, a dude rolling his eye backs and uh, screaming, Superman's just gonna go flick... Right, well, it, it, like, it just, yeah, it backs off in fear and flies away. It's just, uh, I don't know. And I, on top of all this, I he, thought he Charlie dated him. <laughs> top, he did. He wild carded him. On top of all that, I don't think they are that great. I think Mike Hawthorne's art in this issue, uh, it, it, you it's, know, it's, it's more it's got, missed than hit. It's got a lot of weird mouths. You know, there's that first page where. Uh, uh, not Joker's talking to his boardroom and stuff, and he's just got these weird lips that are just kind of. Well, they're they're odd. trying to drive home the Joker iconography, right? Of the the smile with the mouth. They're trying to draw attention to it. I mean, they're, yeah, they're um, trying to. It just kind of looks yeah. weird, though. It does look weird. Um, so. Yeah, like I just there's so much conceptually. Like it's still well written for the most part. As much as I said, the execution is part of the problem. The execu- When I say the execution, it's not so much the how it's written. It's more the execution and like. He's just, he's treating this story too straightforward. I don't know. Like, I feel like if you're going to do some sort of wacky multiverse story where it's this guy who's really like this universe, he's versus the Joker who never became the Joker. And he's like had a glimpse of what the Joker is like internally. And he's trying to like kind of find that. Like that sounds like a cerebral, like effed up, like nightmare of a, of a story that you could tell about someone like reaching for that, that darkness inside them or something. Right. Uh, yeah. And instead, it's just I'm going to monologue because I'm a supervillain. It's so freaking boring. I I I hated this issue. Yeah, I do like his his punchline is called Crimson though, matching the the theme, right? That she's still mm-hmm. she stills working with Joker, but instead of being punchline, she she's a shade of red to go with red mask. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, the the final plan, right? That he's He's going to introduce this gas that's going to drive everybody crazy. It's like this toxin. Um, and Batman stops it by throwing this massive switch. Very pulpy, very kind of fun. Uh, but so his backup plan is to, to release the man bats, which, you know, as, as a crazy thing, I thought was pretty funny. The, the leather wings, you know? I think he called them at the end. Yeah, you have the leather wings, but they're all man bats. Yes, yeah, so he releases you know? his man bat experiments, yeah, on the side. Yes. Uh, also, uh, so... we should mention that when Batman shuts off the gas, uh, Ghostbreaker cuts off his hand. Yeah. So, yeah. what is Batman going to get a, a robotic hand now or something? Yeah. What's happening He's... here? I still feel there's something to do with the multiversal Bruce, right? That that has the the energy of uh, that, that was that was like two issues ago. He talked about the corpse of the Bruce Wayne from that world had multiversal. Oh, Jay's going to steal that hand. He's going to steal the hand. Of the I don't Bruce. know if he's going to steal the hand, or there's going to be some timey wimey. 
you know, I just, this is one of these things where it got to the, the hands cut off, and instead of gasping and going, oh my god, Batman just lost a hand, my first yeah. thought was very cynically, oh, this is something we have to fix now. Like, that, yeah. that, like, you know, that was my first thought. I didn't, I wasn't lost in the moment of the story. I was like, oh, this is something we have to fix by the end of this arc or run. We have to somehow give him his hand back now. I, you know, I, I, all, all I could see was the the future writing mm-hmm. issues with it, rather than the the dramatic, you know, shock of the moment. Right. Oh, dear. Uh, I'm going to yeah. be honest. I didn't notice the hand got cut off, so now I'm trying to pull up my digital issue <laughs> to, to look and see how it's, I missed it, this. So, yeah, so there's a red panel just after he does the switch, but then the next time you see him uh, in the next page, he's losing, he's, he's, he's got a stump. He's, he's got a bloody stump. Mm-hmm. Right towards the end. That's where he, uh, he, he undertakers the dude. Yes, yes. Yep, I'm going. Oh, uh, uh, we also got the Alfred and Leslie stuff. Um, that's what's like, it's like, it's like two pages. It's fi- yeah, that's fine. I have no complaints. I liked it. I liked uh, it though. You know, it was Alfred being like, Leslie, you got to come. She's like, I can't. I'm a doctor. People need help. You know. Um, yeah, I, I can't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Matt's found it. He's finally found the page. There you go. I found it. It's, it's on the same with the uh, with punchline is crimson. It's the second. Uh, yeah, it's the second last page. Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, my god. Yeah. Also, it's worth mentioning that the leather wings are all got backpacks that are releasing uh, this gas. poison gas. So, so they're still yeah. spreading the gas. So that's still happening. Yeah. It's just this. This is more of a uh, an air deployment system, <laughs> right? Instead of sending it through the the crane, they called it crane brain, which I thought was also great. It's a fun little rhyme. Yeah. Um, the gas that was making everybody a little bit fearful that uh, Joel had talked about. So. Uh, uh yeah yeah I, uh, yeah I did not even realize he was missing a hand. It pulled away. He had a stump. Ah uh, yeah, I I did not like this issue. I I this, the story concepts yeah. that it's doing. Even though I think there's an, an idea in there that could be interesting, if mm-hmm. it, you know, like something that looks and like reads like Arkham Asylum from Grant Morrison might like fit that idea that yeah. you know some sort of demented sort of visuals and stuff, but. Th- this is just such a, a typical superhero comic and nothing feels like a big deal. Like, it just... I don't yeah. know. I just... Everything about this is underwhelming. I, I, I think the concept is is fine well enough, but it just... The actual monologue and the explanation just felt like such a nothing scene. It felt like we've not earned this. We've not... It doesn't feel exciting. It doesn't feel like a... Like, we've just been gut punished because, oh, shit... Like and part of it's because they telegraphed it too much with a smile on the previous, uh, issue or two. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I hate it, Matt. I hate it. I hate this issue. Yeah, I did. Did you read the backup? I did read the backup. Okay, because we had been now, reading the backup. Now, does the hating it? Does that involve the backup or not? Because because there are parts of the backup that I enjoyed. I mean, I don't made this salvageable. <laughs> Like, I mean, Superman dressed up as Batman to make yeah. Gotham think Batman's still around yeah. for a little bit is amusing enough. Like, I have no yeah. problem with that. Um, no, I, I, think, like, I like Tim going and talking to his mom. Well, see, know. no, I wasn't this sure about this because yeah. it's not, again, conceptually, I have no problem with it. But it's the same problem with the the the, the Joker or the other world confessing his mm-hmm. plans to Batman is that it feels so rushed and unearned. It just, yeah. Tim just decides to jaunt to a different universe on his way to try and save Batman. He's like, you know what, I'm going to dip out and go to a universe where my mom's still alive just so I can talk to her. And they have like a, what, a three-page conversation or something like that? Well, you know, it's it, Yeah, it was this weird thing where he's going through the time where he has Mr. Terrific has you know, kind of made him like this multiversal suit. 
And so, but he has to keep focusing on Batman to find Batman because of the signature. But for whatever reason, he lets his mind wander to his parents. And that's what takes him there. So I, I, think, I didn't get if that was supposed to happen. Right. He like he let his mind wander or for it's, whatever reason. It's one of these you know, things. It's, clear. it's one of these things where a conversation between Tim and like another version of his mother where they finally where he gets to open up about a lot of things yeah. and explain who he is like that should be like I always go back to there was an episode of or an episode an issue of Straczynski's Spider-Man where <sighs> Aunt May found out Peter was Spider-Man and there's an issue just called the conversation and it's just the two of them in a room talking for the entire issue and like all the big details you expect to come up come up and I'm not saying this deserves the exact same amount of weight as that, no. but this is so quick and fluffy and just like a quick thing in a backup that it just, it felt yeah. like it, there was just no weight to it. It just, it felt like yeah. a, a nothing thrown out no, there I, moment. I, I get that, but I, I did like the sentiment nonetheless, you know, cause this is a guy that, you know, he is, they are, they are evolving Tim into a different character to where he was always like the best Robin. And now I'm starting to feel like he is like, coming around to be his own character in the way that Dick Grayson has, you know, uh, and, you know, him going and seeing his, his mom kind of fits in with that. Like he's not trying to be the emotional distant person that Bruce was right. Like, you know, he was always meant to be the heir to, to the cowl until Damien showed up anyways. Um, and stuff. So the fact that he's, that they're trying to make him this person that has, you know, a personal life outside of all of that. Um, and him going to see his mom, I feel like that's something like Bruce would never do, right? Because Bruce doesn't want to upset the tilt of the, the multiverse or whatever. You know, Bruce is very self-punishing in that way. Whereas I feel like Tim taking this time to go do that gives a little piece of his character. Yeah, I, I just, I don't... I, I was never on board with the, the multiverse story for this arc in the mm -hmm. first place, even though there was yeah. definitely good parts of how some of those earlier issues yeah. were written. But this issue, I think just, like... It, it was it became everything it just became everything like i didn't want from it and or actually even worse it kind of introduced me an idea that actually sounded interesting but just did it in the most bland mm -hmm. generic way and the backups just kind of feel like oh tim's going multiverse hopping and i'm sure he'll eventually show up in the same universe as batman and help out like that's probably what we're building to and that's fine yeah. but god damn um, like Zarsky, yeah, at the I, end, I don't know what you're doing here, man. But <laughs> yeah, at the end, like this is a far cry from the from the Zernar stuff, right? Like him telling that story in the back, mm. and, and it was and it was informing the story that's going on. These just feel like a little bit like they're concurrent, but there's no, I don't see how they overlap yet. Um, but like, yeah, at the end here, we see, you know, all these different versions of Batman. Like you have the 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 the, um, the vampire version. What was that? miniseries called is that crimson is it crimson rain or blood rain is it something like that i don't know well, i don't know it's don't got vampire batman mm -hmm. it's got gotham by gaslight batman it has what looks like the blue cowl um the batman of russia you know an armored batman of some kind i don't know where he's coming from you have the dark knight batman in there so like they're playing with these tropes these like these well-known different versions of batman batman but like and this backup, we're not going to get meaningful, like you said, with this one, with with you know, him. Think, it's just going to be him reality hopping. Yeah, and 
I think part of it is just that multiverse stuff is overdone right now. Although it's notable yeah. that we're going to talk about Adventures of Superman after this, yeah. and I think that's a good example of how to do a multi-universe story. Oh yeah. Uh, but that's because there's actual motivations, and there's mm-hmm. already a tie to like characters in other universes, and you know, right. there's there's things there's, there. But, yeah, there's proper stakes there well, that, that Taylor's been playing with. Versus here, where Zdarsky's just like, oh, I'm telling a multiversal story right now. Yeah, and like so much of this, like, oh, she's not my Selena. Don't get attached, bro. She's not my Selena. I'm like, oh god, I'm so sick of this yeah. trope. <laughs> like, yeah. I just I've seen it too many times. Yeah. I get you. You know. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. So Pete, Pete usually usually he keeps his comic book opinions pretty much to himself until until we record. Um, and I saw it today as I was waiting for my my food before we recorded, and I was like, oh man, we line up on this. I was so. I was I was too mad. I was I was mad. I didn't like the issue one bit and I uh that's gotta stump. That might be my cuddle of the week now. <laughs> <laughs> I did not realize that. Granted I, I read this last night, uh you know, uh on the way to bed. So, you know, uh might have just overlooked, but yeah. Yeah. Or that... I just was so disengaged by that point that I was just trying to eat through the book. That's probably more probably more to it. Oh. Mm. Yeah, it's a shame because I, I don't, you know, I would never have expected feeling this way from Zarsky, but I, I just <sighs> this arc ain't it. This arc just ain't it. Nope. So I'm not, uh, I'm not looking forward. Detective is so much better right now uh, for me that it's not even funny. Uh, all right, what are you rating Batman one thirty four? I'm giving this a five. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a four. I'm gonna okay. be extra solid. Um, I probably would have went with a five, but I also didn't think the art was, you know, I, I thought the yeah. art had like sort of smooth, like simplistic faces at times. I, I wasn't feeling it too much, so I think overall I'm going with a four. Did not like this issue one aspect. Okay. All right, uh, Adventures of Superman, John Ken issue two, Tom Taylor writing with Clayton Henry on the art. So obviously the setup last issue is that. Uh, Ultraman is traveling through different universes and killing different Clarks. John, of course, has a history with Ultraman. Ultraman kept him trapped in that that in gap where he where he grew up, you know, in the volcano. Mm-hmm. So there's a personal vendetta there, but there's also having to save his own father because eventually he's going to come for right. his dad. So right. you know, there, there's stakes there, and there's uh, I think this is just partly because Taylor's so good typically at doing this and using. You know, he's done deceased and there's a reference to deceased in this issue. Uh, I I do love that because he played with the timing, you know, because John's kind of like, why me? You know, he's like, well, you're the only John. Like, time still kind of moves fluid through the multiverse. And there was only one other John that's relatively your age. Uh, but he's busy, you know, fighting the un- undead army. And I was like, oh, very, very well done there, Taylor. Yeah, Um. So, and that's an interesting idea that most Earths still have a young John, and this yep. is like one of the only two that that have a an adult. But it it does this thing where Taylor, in these different books where he's done this, and to, to an extent in Dark Knights of Steel, but I think yeah. in Deceased especially, uh, using like the characters in a way and playing off on their history, and I think this is no different here where. It's using the backstory of John to fuel how personal this story is. So even though we're multiverse hopping, none of this, you know, is about, oh, I'm in a different metropolis. Okay, yeah. there's there's a Perry, but it's not my Perry. Oh, there's a Lois, but it's not my right. Lois. Like, yeah, the Red Tornado is a Lois, but 
they know that. That's like, not crucial, right? Yeah. That's not. But, yeah. but not only does he know that, this red Lois knows that because you know she's involved as well. Like we don't have to go through this dance of like oh oh like no one really knows like who's really like who here and right. whatnot. So he's not doing any of that bullshit, which is nice. And then of course you know the story, like you said, has stakes. So um, they say goodbye at the fortress. Uh, there's a nice moment where Jay is like, "How do you do? How do you?" St- deal with us Lois with him leaving all the time and she's like uh, just make him promise to come back because Superman never breaks a promise yeah. uh, so there was a well, little, little bonding yeah. between Lois and Jay is the well, I like that too because she he Jay goes to her how do you how, how do you do this and she's like I just make myself stay busy and then Jay like not buying that goes no like really though and that's where she comes out and it felt like this really nice connection like you just said between the two um, you know Superman will never break a promise so. Yeah, well, it's just it's it's the the first time, at least in a long time, anyway, where another character other than Lois is like you know with a super character and has to deal yeah. with them rushing off. Obviously, we do it with all superheroes to an certain extent, but right. Superman does fly off to other planets and shit, so he tends to be gone yeah. and bigger sprouts. Uh, but so they don't know what Earth they're going to; they just know they're tracking Ultraman to whatever Earth he's went to next. Uh-huh. Um, and obviously, the big reveal of this issue is that we seem to be in the Injustice universe because Injustice Superman is going to be uh, making an appearance by the end of the day. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, so I I want to know how Ultraman is, is multiversal hopping because I feel like, I feel that Ultraman is just a, a, a piece to this, right? I feel like he's the bullet, but someone is firing it. So, you know, there's so many options out there. Um, at this point, um, because for him to jump into the Injustice universe and not realize that, you know, what's special about that Clark, you know, it just seems almost like a, it almost seems like an oversight, you know? So. I, I buy that from him, though. He's, he's just arrogant. Like, that's true. I don't think he's that's looking true. ahead to what universe he's going to. I think he's just hopping and didn't realize he was going to get more of a fight on this one. Uh, yeah. But it's it's actually really nicely set up because Ultraman, you know, they're flying around. Ultraman like flies uh, through the red tornado and then grabs the Phantom uh, Zone projector and sends right. terrific or not terrific, sorry, sends a uh, Val Valzod and uh, and Red Tornado to the Phantom Zone, right? And that's cool, right? So and then he's fighting John and on the build up to to Injustice Superman appearing, there's this like you know, Ultraman keeps saying to John. Like, you'll never win, because like your father, you have a weakness, you have compassion, you'll always hold back, so I'm always going to win. That's actually a really nice build-up to the fact that when Injustice Superman shows up, the the whole gimmick of Injustice Superman is that he's the Superman who left that behind, who lost his cool and turned to be willing to kill. And sure enough, the big sort of entrance here is that Injustice Superman just appears behind Ultraman, and snaps his neck, and I could not help but notice a similarity with uh, a certain movie uh-huh. uh, with a so-called it, Superman killing a Zod. Right. Like, except here I feel like it's earned, right? Because this, this is a Superman that has seen some things. Is that in his first go-around? Well, yeah, obviously. You know I mean? that, that wasn't yeah. a complaint, Matt. Oh, the, no, 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 I know. Like, the, I, the, I'm the whole just... point of Injustice Superman is that I'm yeah. saying that as a critique of Man of Steel. Yeah. That this uh, is, this, this yeah, Superman's yeah. willing to do this. They're, that, right. that, 
this is the the bad Superman. This is the one uh-huh. who's who's killed people. Wait, this is the one say, who's tried to like run a fascist again? regime. The bad Superman. The the, the not so. <laughs> You know, no, like his heart might be in the right place. Don't get me wrong. So. He's not the worst Superman. No. <laughs> but he's a bad Superman. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, because I was shocked. Like, because I, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get, like, we're going to get John and in, in, uh, Injustice Superman. And, you know, there's shades of gray and, and whatever. And you know, they're going to have to team up and take on Ultraman. I know in issue two that Ultraman is just done. Just, you know, snappy, snappy. You know, he's, he's looking behind <laughs> his back without moving <laughs> his neck. Yeah. So. No, so, like, yeah, you get the big fight between Ultraman and John. John uh, goes all electric blue, yeah. which does do some damage, but uh, it, it weakens him because it takes up too much energy. Yeah. So Ultraman's about to kill him, and he's like, hey, I'm going to go after your Lois. Like, because there's a moment in the middle of the fight where he's like, wait, you're my John? <laughs> he's right. like, I was never your John. You know, like, so they right. realize that this is specifically the one that he held captive yeah. and all that stuff. But the full page spread of Ultraman being killed, his neck being snapped by Injustice Superman. And then the ending of the issue is Injustice Superman recognizing Lois's eyes and John. Like, you have her eyes. And so, you know, there's two ways this could go. Uh, like, is Injustice Superman going to sort of see the light again because he bonds mm-hmm. with John and John sort of, like, puts him back on the right path and so or, on so or is on he too far gone or right? yeah or does he become like a new nemesis because he is too far yeah. gone and he wants to keep him for himself that that you know so this this had a couple of you know holy crap moments that you know when john goes electric blue i think that was handled really well because he's dealing with like not not a, just a physical block of having to fight ultraman but you know his ptsd of dealing with that right so uh ultraman already has an edge and then the when the electric blue stuff hits you get this one and then you get the the ultraman snapping the neck or infinite uh, infinite injustice superman snapping <laughs> ultraman's neck there's so much going on here right and then the the closer the absolute hammer is you have her eyes and knowing knowing that you know lois's death at his own hands you know is what kicked off injustice it's just man tom taylor going for the the dagger right to the heart yeah, so, yeah, it, like this, this all makes sense, and instantly the story possibilities because, mm-hmm. you know, even if you only just broadly know the backstory of this Superman, mm-hmm. and I do because I never played the game and I never read the comic, right. so I only know the the broad strokes. But even just knowing the broad strokes, there's instantly potential from this story because we understand this character, we understand John's backstory, and we can sort of see the possibilities of okay, what happens when these two different characters clash. To compare that to Batman, where we're in this new universe and everything's just sort of made from scratch, like, and I'm not saying you can't do good stories that way, you you absolutely can, uh, but the difference here is that everything here is instantly kind of tantalizing, because it's like, okay, we know these characters, we know their backstories, we know how some of them bounce off of each other, and we know what impact this might have on their, you know, on John specifically, like, dealing with a version like how is he going to feel about a version of his father who's like this not like Ultraman who was just like super evil and that was it it was simple this is a Superman who was good lost his Lois and then like turned and okay so how does John deal with that it's a lot more complex than just you know Superman from an evil earth yeah and especially again I, I, I just I complimented how it was building up like him saying 
oh, you have compassion and therefore you always lose. Enter Injustice Superman doesn't have compassion. Mm-hmm. The other bit of foreshadowing in that fight right before he shows up is he threatens his mom, he threatens Lois. Yep. What, what did this Superman lose? He, he lost his Lois. Mm-hmm. So John may have to face this idea of a world where he, he could have lost his mother and what would that do to yeah. his father? What would that do to him? Instantly, there's so many like good character drama to like gain from everything that's happened in this yeah. issue. Um, like I, I enjoy Taylor's, you know, run as on Superman. He's he's John Kent Superman, yeah. but I think this mini just from two issues, I think, is the best arc that he's done with John. Mm-hmm. Um, because it has real culmination and it has real stakes to everything that's going on. Now, do we think this was just supposed to? You think this was just the next arc? And then when Williamson was brought on, they you know, they returned it to Superman, you know, yeah. so he kind of had this planned out. Yeah, I, I think this would have just been an arc in the book. Uh, maybe the yeah. final arc, maybe not. But I, I think mm-hmm. uh, they just wanted to like do their new number one issue, Superman, yeah. with the new creator. So and that's and that's fine because yeah, it's we, still we, of that quality. Tom Taylor hasn't lost a step. Oh, it, it doesn't matter. It's just no. it's just that thing sometimes where they want to refresh and do the new number one, but they still want the previous run to finish, so they shift. They shift it off to like a mini series or another mm-hmm. book, uh, to finish. But it's, that's effectively what this is, though. It's just the, the last six issues of his run. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, no, I really like this issue. Mm-hmm. I I thought everything that it, it, it built up on, uh, yeah. was good. So maybe maybe Valzod and uh, and Red Tornado Red, Lois will Red uh, Lois. get out yeah. of the Phantom Zone by the end of the arc. Maybe not. Yeah. We'll, well, I don't know because he so. Um, he, I do like that he's like, yeah, I had to break off a neutron star lock off the, you know, my dad's security to get this. So we got to take care of it. And then it gets destroyed, the fight with Ultraman, you know? So I'm sure there's other Phantom Zone projectors they can bring him out with, but it does make it feel like John is solo now, right? To, mm-hmm. to you know, kind of deal with this version of his dad on his own, um, you know, without without Valzad telling him things or, you know, cause you would, you would assume that, that they're aware of this version, right? Like they're aware of, of Ultraman. So, you know, cause maybe, maybe we get a completely different version as told by Clark, right? You know, um, that Valzad and red, red, uh, Lois wouldn't, wouldn't let John know. So it's definitely, it's got me hooked. I don't think I followed that sentence there. I, so, so I, like, I, th- I think you said Ultraman instead of Injustice Superman at one yeah, point, yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. it confused me. Did. You're fine. So what I meant is, so <laughs> now, now John's by himself, right? So he's with Injustice Superman. He doesn't have, he doesn't have Val. Doesn't have Red Lois with him. And so now he he has no idea about this world. He's just gonna hear this version of Superman's versions of things, yeah. and not realize how dire, like this was, you know. Um, and I like that. Because it's going to give him some room for explanation. Because we already know how John reacts to injustices. You know, we we had two full stories of that so far. So, I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, no, I think this was was really good. Uh, you know, I'm not the biggest lover of Clayton Henry's art. And I, I do, you know, it, it's not, like, amazing to me or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, the big forehead syndrome kind of creeps in a little bit here or there. <sighs> Uh, yeah. it's it's very clean and kind of digital looking at times. So I'm not in love with it, but uh, it, it doesn't do anything too egregious either. So it, it's, it's kind of serviceable I, on my end. I think the big blockbuster moments really hit, though. Mm. I think his his big moments hit really well. I, I guess uh, what I would say is the layouts are good 
for the yeah. sequential storytelling. I just not I'm not necessarily a big fan the of the details. the details themselves, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh but no, the storytelling though is uh, top notch. I really like what this is doing. What what did we do to, to deserve Tom Taylor? Right? I, like his Superman, his Nightwing, all the little offshoot books he's done is just one after another, constantly entertaining us. Yep. Uh no, really good stuff. Uh sorry, what are you giving Adventures of Superman um, John Ken issue two? I'm giving this an eight point five. Yeah. Do you know what I'll I'll agree with eight point five. I'd probably give it a nine uh, or more, even if I like the art more. So there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. The Flash, seven nine six, Jeremy Adams and Roger Cruz, Fernando Pissarin and George Cambadeus, uh all on art. So uh final issue of the one minute war and uh unfortunately i think this is probably the weakest issue of the arc in some mm-hmm. ways i think it's just a little bit too messy with too many characters and there's a few times where like you know everyone's fighting and at one point like i think wally traps the the prince dude in like the container and ex- and quickly explains oh i understand this will keep you outside of time so you, you you'll uh be in stuck in here blah 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 and mm-hmm. i'm like I'll take your word for it, Wally, but he said it as if it was, like, set up before, and I'm like, that's, like, the, well, the, the details of how all this stuff works have all been gobbledygook from the start, so I'm not... Yeah, yeah, it, it's a lot of timey-wimey, or a lot of speed force, bro, right? Yeah. Um, And so, but, but for me, the setup was, is that when it's revealed that the Admiral is an organic, right, and he's not using the artificial Lincoln... That's what made Wally understand that he's outside of time like all the other Flashes. Therefore, when when they, you know, that makes him a living paradox when this all happens. Um, but still, timey-wimey, don't think about it too much. You'll give yourself a nosebleed. Um, Might have happened to me. <laughs> um, but I, I do like that resolution of it, you know, that basically they, they stop it before it happens because of Flash time travel. Um, and also how Adam's kind of redeems the 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 characters that Wally, you know, killed from, from the book that we don't like to talk about. Well, he didn't you really know? kill them. They already revealed that back in the first arc. No, 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 I know that. But, like, he gets his peace with them, right? They, they're mm. they in time point to help, you know, with uh, Gold Beetle. So, um, another character I, just, I love her. Just as a concept. So... Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a fun couple of little moments here where she's... At the end, she's like... You know, she's she's invited in. She's like, "Is Jay in there?" And he's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh, I can't meet him yet, then, because the first time yeah. you meet special, I can't I can't ruin that." So I'm gonna. Yeah, that made me be like, "Oh, that's so cute," like, <laughs> you know. So, which again, Adams has been great with the family dynamics thing. Like even her, because we we do see that those two, you know, in the future are are together. So, you know, that stuff's there. But yeah, um, I I did I really like the time point stuff. You know, where they talk about and it became Planet Flash because of, you know, Wally's impact on things, you know, and uh, but it was it was the vanishing point type, you know, crux, the nexus of realities or time. Um, and that's basically what they're going to use. Wally is now the secret weapon uh, that they're going to need to defeat them. So uh, I like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's a bit weird, though, that he shows up in the fight with all these characters and they mm-hmm. set up the, all these other characters because they're not speedsters. Their the tech they've got or whatever gives them one minute. They've they've got one yeah. minute before they all freeze like everyone else. So they help where they can. I do think it's weird that there's not like kind of like a, a great big moment where like everyone sees Wally's alive again. It kind of happens, mm-hmm. I don't know, sort of gradually. And I know 
after everything is done, like Irie runs up and says, oh, you know, hugs her dad and Linda's happy to see him again. But I felt it was missing kind of the big, like, oh shit, Wally's back moment. Like for yeah. them, you know, for all the other characters who thought he was gone and not coming back. You know, I felt like it was missing in that moment. So I, I do think this this final issue of the arc is probably the weakest part of it. I have enjoyed the arc overall, though, quite a bit. Because uh, it's a really fun concept, and all the character dynamics, like you said, have been have been entertaining, and they've yeah. been kind of heartfelt in places, which is really nice. Um, but th- this one did suffer a little bit from, you know, just a, a lot of like last minute exposition just to explain things. Even the villain sort of talking to his uh, like subordinates who try to like turn against him when they find out he's an organic. Which, yeah, which I don't understand because wouldn't they? He fought through being like an organic. Like he's, you know. He started from the bottom. He was what they used to, you know, imprison, and now he's in charge. You just sort of think they sort of respected his rank, but all of a sudden they get, you know, prejudice, and and that's it. So you know, maybe maybe an extra issue would have helped to decompress a little of it. Yeah, uh, it's just it's still a little bit rushed here in this final issue, uh, mm-hmm. and there's a lot going on, uh, which is a little bit of a shame. Uh, but yeah. you get the sort of time rewinding at the end, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, Barry running off to Iris to say yes, and mm-hmm. everyone else sort of you know being good. So, uh, yeah. it's you know the ending is quite nice. You get a full page spread of the entire family having a barbecue. Uh huh. You know, uh, then there's a little epilogue page with Max Mercury and um Bart. And interesting little theory comes up in this actually, which mm-hmm. admittedly it felt like a little bit of just a. We're going to try and make this story feel more important, so we're going to suggest something here, which feels mm-hmm. a, a, a little forced. But this idea that the reason why Max ended back up in this time period and the reason why Bart ended up in the same time period, so they've all kind of collected in this time period, mm-hmm. is that, oh, because we're all meant to be here to stop this, to stop the the fraction from, from doing this to Earth. You know, fate's kind of put us all, or the speed force, I should say, mm-hmm. is all kind of put us here in the same place, in the same time. That felt a little bit, uh, I don't know, disingenuous to me because I'm like, okay, you're saying that now because you're writing this arc now, but that's yeah. not really true. <laughs> like, you know, so you know, I, I rolled my eyes a little bit of that, but there's this sort of scene at the end where uh, Max and Bart run off into the sunset to sort of maybe go somewhere else. So uh, I don't know if there's plans to pick up yeah. with them somewhere else. I, I don't know, but I will say that I do like that Adams is giving us probably something he enjoyed back you know we all know he's a big flash fan so teaming up bart and max again and like they don't know what the future holds it's unwritten and they get to go off now um i i do like that i feel like he got to give them the ending he's always wanted you know Mm -hmm. uh, to see for them so you know but just that image of max staring off into the sunset and you're just like oh man yeah yeah, um, I think the other little thing is that it, a bit messy with the fighting in the middle is, you know, at one point it starts like, it's not quite our narration, but it's like a Miss Murder, like she starts yeah. talking to people and it's like a different type of box versus the other yeah. dialogue and narration boxes. I felt like there was just a little bit too much squeezed out of some of those pages. Um, again, yeah. some of it could have been decompressed and fleshed out a bit and, it, you know, maybe another issue would have been the, mm-hmm. the thing it needed for that. But cool. Also, we never got any payoff to Godspeed. I figured we'd seen Godspeed. Yeah, that, that bugged me as well. I was like, yeah. I, I thought he was going to show up and do something. Me too. They, they, I thought he was going to be the one that puts the end to the Admiral, because he has zero issue with killing Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I thought he was going to show up and do something that the good guys yeah. wouldn't do, but because, you know, enemy yeah. of my enemy, it would inadvertently help everyone else, you know? Mm-hmm. 
so it, it yeah because yeah. obviously the idea of what are the evil speedsters doing in the world whilst this right. is going on is an interesting idea and it yep. was cool to bring it up in that short story in the special but mm-hmm. i really thought it was setting up that he was going to show up and do something so yeah. that was uh I was a bit disappointed. Sure. I will say Who that. Other, what other evil speedster do we have out there right now? Oh, God. Have... Who, who's keeping track of uh, yeah. whether or not Zoom or Thon or... Right, because Thon, <laughs> Thon's, Thon's locked away wherever, right, because of, of Infinite crisis the things. Um, and then, yeah, who knows? I know I know someone's handling Zoom because there was a tease in one of the solicits. Uh, is, is it? What about Mina? Is she still got powers? She's still zipping around? Yeah. Yeah, what was she? Black Sun? Black Black Hole? Something like yeah. that. She, but she wasn't really evil. She was kind of, you know, neutral. Yeah. Um, Bart's clone isn't around anymore. Um, I forget even his inertia. I think his name was. Yeah, we didn't have to have like tons of them though. I think no, just, no, no. But I'm just thinking like, what other? It'd just be Godspeed, really, that I can think of. Godspeed so... been used to represent the ideas fine enough. Yeah. Like, you have to do yeah. it with one, but it was yeah, yeah. it's a shame that they never actually did anything else with them. Anything else, yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, that family barbecue page I like too because there's a lot going on here. You know, like Iris is showing uh, Jesse Quick her ring. You know, and just everyone, everyone's kind of around. It feels like a very nice, you know, moment here. So, I'm just also trying to figure out who everyone. Is is that who's with the backwards hat? Oh, I'm not looking that... at it. I don't know. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Like, is that supposed to be Bart? I think it is. Yeah, it looks like Roy. Uh, we also or... have um the thing with the the speech study found inside the the uh-huh. thing. Uh, who says his name is Wade? And there's a guy. Yeah. Oh, Wally's got an uncle named Wade. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. Who have you been named <laughs> after? That's right. So yeah, just a whole lot of fun stuff. So um. You know, curious to see where where he takes it now that we know that his his run's ending. You know, um, seeing what these last couple issues are before it yeah. switches creatives. Yeah, I hope it's just family stuff and you know, mm-hmm. uh, sort of epilogue to the run type stuff because obviously yeah. there's not enough time to do like a proper big story now. No. Um, yeah, uh, it, honestly, it's it's a shame that it's such a messy, overstuffed final issue of the arc because mm-hmm. I was hoping this arc from the early stuff was going to be this like really prominent flash story that stands out and i think now it's ended i'm not sure if it is my favorite story that he's done in the run i think it mm-hmm. maybe just falters a little bit too much at the end to take that crown uh i still like the story overall yeah. but I, I will say it, this final issue is a bit weaker than the rest yeah, of them for sure yeah like you said a little bit too convenient in places you know could have could have used an extra it was just a little bit decompression and i think it would have so just, uh, but I mean, gr- great concept for an event for Flash. Oh, absolutely. You yeah, we said I mean? we said that right from the start. I think yeah. one of the big problems with this final issue, though, there's just there's so many groups fighting mm-hmm. that it's just hard to get a grasp on what each group yeah. is trying to achieve at any given point. Uh, what the rules for success are, you know, like, everything's very kind of whims or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not uh, whimsical. Very what? Not whimsical. Uh, wobbly? Not wobbly. Uh, everything's. Yeah wishy-washy i guess is what we're trying yeah. to say everything's a bit wishy-washy as far yeah. as like what's going on so mm-hmm. yeah uh yeah so i'll probably read this one down a little bit but it's you know i, I i'm still enjoying the run and obviously mm-hmm. i hope these last couple issues we get from it are are nice send-offs uh what are you giving oh actually that's the other problem actually before we get to the rating uh three mm-hmm. artists uh did stick out yeah it was very back that just added to the haphazardness of it to be honest yeah none of the art 
Our styles really match or complement each no. other really well. So he gave it a kind of a messy kind of vibe for this, you know, end of an uh, end of a story. So kind of don't yeah. want to see that. Uh, yeah, um, it just felt like a hodgepodge, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it wasn't too bad when it went from like you know Flash Planet to yeah. like the regular fight. Because okay, that was a different planet, it was, yeah. you know, whatever. But yeah, then it kind of changed again towards the end, and it was kind of yeah, I don't know, it, it wasn't yeah. working for me too much. Okay. All right, what are you rating the Flash seven nine six? Um, I'm gonna give this a seven point five. Yeah, I'm actually gonna go a six on this one. I do Oof. think it was a bit too messy to really rate yeah. much higher, unfortunately. Gotcha. Uh, but, you know, uh, it, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alright. Poison Ivy, issue 11, G. Willow Wilson writing with Marcio Takara on the art. Take it away, oh. Matt. Yeah, so uh, Pam and, and the health retreat for, for Gloop are are still tripping off of her Lamia spores that have adapted from her. Um, and um, you know, people are feeling like empathetic, like they can kind of because they're connected because of the spores that came from Pam, they can kind of feed off of each other's emotions and they feel comfortable around each other. And there's just this feeling of warmth and love. Um, and uh, Janet, who's uh, Pam's friend, is like, uh, so wait, is this why can't we do this all the time? Like this, this is like an ideal utopia. And Pam's like, well, do you want the, the poetic answer or do you want the scientific? Because uh, the scientific answer is that we don't we need more dopamine than our brain can produce um, to be that co- or to be that cooperative. But the poetic answer is that we're, you know, we all have our own boundaries and limits and we don't know what each other's are, you know, so we need these chemicals to give us permission to cross those boundaries. Um, and she's like, yeah. Um, you know, maybe we should just stay like this. And then Janet passes out. Um, she Pam starts to panic and she yells at, at Janet to stand up and she does. And so now it's almost like she's fully in control of all of these people because they're basically high off of her mushrooms. Um, and so it gets into that kind of what, what her ultimate plan was. With the original Lamius Wars to create the zombies, you know, to kind of wipe out a chunk of Earth and stuff. So, you know, Pam now feels like this weird responsibility because, like, they're internally or internally connected through the network of mushrooms, right? So, yeah, that works. But now that's also they're all connected to her. So now they're also bending to her will. And she doesn't really like that because she's learned, you know, life's about free choice and free will and all this stuff. Um and so, um, you know, she's like, well, I mean, if we're so connected, let's let's do some good. You know, I'm the center. I'm the mother. Right. And so there's this uh, semi truck that's speeding through the area and and uh, Pam and the group stop them. And, you know, the the um, truck drivers complain because it's a it's a couple and they decide that they're going to drive through the crowd anyways. And uh, Pam is like, no, they'll stop. They'll stop. And they don't stop. And uh, so you see Pam grabbing kind of the group, trying to shield them. And the uh, the truck goes through and they stop and no one's there now. And so Pam realizes that because they're all connected, they can travel through the green together. 
And so out, out of her quick thinking, she traveled through the green. They all pop up out of the dirt, you know, a couple couple hundred yards away. Um, and she's like, oh, this, this could definitely be a problem. Um, so they all start coming out of the haze. And Janet starts, you know, questioning Pam. I was like, why would, why would you use us as, as a human blockade? You know? Um, and she's like, well, I, oops, <laughs> there's my, <laughs> I don't need the answer, Siri. Um, but why would you use us as the human blockade? And she's like, well, I still have a mission. And I, I you know, sorry, I am who I am. Like, I'm going to, you know, um, she's like, no, that's not who you are. This is the Solben thing. That's what you were, you know? And, um, you know, she goes, no, you're not. When, when I first saw you, you were this monster, but now like you still are that monster, but you want to protect us. You want to protect others from the bigger monster. And you can do that. You have the permission. So it gets back into that Pam talking about, you know, sometimes you need those chemicals to erase those boundaries, even for, for Pam, right? She still thinks that she has to do things a certain way. Right. Um, and now she's, she's arguing with Janet. She's like, well, no, you know, I didn't infect these people. This isn't my fault. You know, she, you know, the Gwen, the Gwyneth Paltrow analog, she collected all these mushrooms. I had, you know, this was an accident and Gwen pops up out of the, the, the dirt finally. And is like, well, no, you, you, you know, how do we supposed to know this was going to happen? She starts trying to shift the blame and she tries to blame it on, on Pam. And so Pam, you know, goes into that, you know, scary psychedelic version we've seen of her. And she starts backing Gwen down and being like, well, no, you know, you were rushing. You didn't even check to see if these mushrooms were edible. You just were all about your cost and all about, you know, <laughs> you know I only half pay attention. I just yeah. keep hearing you talk about mushrooms. That's all yeah. I'm hearing. That's that's what this is about. Right. Um, and so, you know, you didn't you know, you didn't check anything. You didn't train these people properly. You share responsibility. Um, and and, you know, Pam gets to be the big monster here and she's she's yelling at this Gwen and she's in full like monster ivy mode where Janet stops her, you know, kind of reminds her that she's, you know, not going to do this stuff anymore. Um, and and Pam backs down. But as she gets down to talk to Gwen, you know, Gwen's just like, yeah, I'm scared. I didn't know what else to do. You know, I'm not thinking straight. You know, I, you know, I wanted to help people. I don't want to hurt people. And they hug. And as they hug, Gwen starts coughing and Pam realizes that the, the Lamia spores from before are still active. And so <laughs> essentially Gwen Paltrow explodes into a mushroom colony um, and, and it looks like the mushroom colony is alive now. So it used this as a, you know, as a way to evolve past, even past uh, Pam's control. Um, definitely feels like we're heading towards the end of a story here. Um, but yeah, there's, there's this, this arc has been completely about the, the mushrooms and them being used. Like they're not necessarily bad. Right. And that even, even from research and stuff that I've heard the various podcasts that like people that, that dose with silo, whatever the, I don't know the, the full scientific so I don't want to say it wrong, but basically the hallucinogenic portion of mushrooms also opens up empathy pathways so, like, in small doses, they can use them in, like, therapies to make people kind of 
balance out. And I feel that's what G. Willow Wilson's getting at through all of this is that, you know, Pam doesn't want to necessarily be the bad guy. She needs to find the balance. Right? She still wants to save the Earth, but, you know, so she's had those she's had those empathy channels open through this contact with the the mushrooms. But now the mushrooms are trying to, you know, do things their own way here. They, they don't care what's in their way. They're just still trying to spread. Um, so, um, but I mean, it's kind of good storytelling in that, that, you know, it, she took a little side jaunt away from the original, you know, Lamia Spore things, but I think it's smart with, with, you know, Last of Us popping back up in, in the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm surprised you, know, so, you even know about that, Matt. <laughs> oh, I do. Um, and so, um, you know, it took a little side jaunt and now it's back to where the, the Lamia almost have their own form. You know, and it reminds me of when Charles Soule was writing and the mushrooms had their own um, kingdom. It was the the gray. Right. And this feels kind of in, in vibe of that. So they're still kind of part of the plants, but not really. So, you know, they're kind of using her control, but it, it leaves Pam in a in a middle spot. Uh, the art by Takara is great because it gets, you know, it shifts from these, you know, beautiful pages with like psychedelic colors to complete monstrosities. Um, and it's got like this watercolor element to it. And it's still, it's also my favorite art every month, like without saying, um, but yeah, pretty, pretty strong issue. Um, feel like we're coming to the end of a story again. Uh, and, and yeah, so uh, that was, that was Poison Ivy 11. I'm going to give this an 8.5. Okay. Very good. And somehow you almost talked about a mushroom kingdom there, so we're almost back to Mario. True. Uh, true. By the end of the conversation, very well done. Uh, yeah. So every month on Patreon.com/slash/MailFuzzTV, you can make myself or Connor read a book in one of the higher tiers. Uh, so I have two to do, but I'm going to leave one till next week because, well, uh, next week has very little books, so <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll 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 leave one for then. Uh, so I'm going to talk about American Vampire issue 31, and the last issue, if you recall, was this steamy, dirty, filthy... With Skinner and Pearl, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I didn't even get to the word sex, but yes, that was no. that's what I was getting at. Um, uh, but also, uh, you know, Henry woke up in the hospital as well. So mm-hmm. uh, this issue starts with her by his side, and they're happy to see each other. And, you know, she's breaking down and crying, talking about how she can't do this again. If anything happens to him, she's turning him, even though that's not what he wants. And there's an interesting little bit of backstory she brings up about how, uh, I think she's talking about her parents, but she's talking about how her mother would say that all of the the lines and the wrinkles like, on her skin would bother her, but uh, her dad would be like, no, that's like, the, that's like a map of like everything you've ever done. Everything good or bad is kind of in your skin. And Pearl talks about how she doesn't have that because she's a vampire. Like she doesn't, she's not getting wrinkles. She's like, her, it's, it's almost like her life isn't happening. It's not been mapped out. I thought that was an interesting little, you know, thing to throw in there to sort of point out, uh, uh, give it some meaning to the fact that she's not aging beyond just the obvious. Um, but uh, her and Henry reminisce. They look at like a photo book uh, that she made up, and it's like photos of them all the way back from the the twenties when they met. Uh, through the decades up to the you know the the early fifties that they're in now, and it's all and it, you know all of this has this bittersweet kind of undertone because we know how the last issue ended, right? 
all mm-hmm. of it has this sort of sick feeling in your stomach because you know what she just did and you know she, she's really apologetic she's saying hey, i had to do things while you were asleep and she wants to talk talk to him and maybe implying that she's going to tell him that she's going to be honest and open about it but like you know they get interrupted he's got some medication to get and she goes off so yeah, very emotionally charged opening scene because we know the audience as the audience like what's what's just happened uh she goes to go to see skinner who's already leaving for the next person on the list to go kill and she's like wait a couple hours and then she can go with and he refuses and she tries to bring up hey you know that thing that happened and he's like you know so what we screwed no big deal and he gets very confrontational um it really the scene to me really plays like he's jealous that henry's woken up like he was finally getting somewhere because he he goes on this this tirade about how she doesn't mean anything to him he only turned her to use as a pawn against the the coven at the time in the 20s and the only reason why he's not killed her in the decades that have followed is because he just doesn't care enough about her to even bother killing her and it all feels a bit disingenuous it all feels like he's trying to convince himself this and that he's acting out because he does have some sort of weird connection with her he is fascinated by pearl he's been kind of clinging to her in some ways uh over the decades and they finally went somewhere with it and now the actual love of her life is back awake and alive and all the rest of it so it, it kind of feels like he's projecting and trying to cover up what he's mm-hmm. going through so in that sense it's a really well-written scene like so effectively what this comic book is up till now which is like two-thirds of it has been two long scenes with just dialogue but everything's got this undertone to it everything's got some like motivations behind what they're saying yeah it's all subtext yeah it's all feelings it's all these things and they all they all, they all work because everything's been set up properly um there's actually a little uh, hint of the i don't see a subtext in your <laughs> oh my goodness fa- my- shut up i need a new watch my watch is going rogue it might be Skynet <laughs> at this point. Anyway, so there's a reference to the Dracula mini that obviously I talked about mm-hmm. before I did this arc. Uh, Lord of Nightmares. Th- they mentioned that Hobbes is a way doing that. Uh, you know, Calvin's talking to the mm-hmm. other guy. Um, but I don't think I realized that the other guy might be the character from the the arc from a couple arcs ago that Hobbes recruited because he mentions that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever caught his name. Uh, but... Yeah, the, you know, so they talk about um, where the coven might be hiding and all the rest of it, and Pearl uh, goes off to investigate this old, uh, basically a prop graveyard. It's just like a big sort of like junkyard full of like old movie props and shit, uh, thinking that the old uh, movie producer vampire uh, Bosch is, might be there, uh, or Bach, or Balk, or whatever his name is. Bloch. Maybe Blotch. I'm saying bloch because I'm Scottish, but maybe it's blotch. Anyway, uh, so she goes off to uh, find him, and, you know, the art here is really good. It's it's got that sort of, like, bright sun. It's the desert, and uh, he steps out. His his face is all burned because of the, the, you know, previous Mm -hmm. events, and she ends up in a fight with all his vampires, and, you know, they start to wear her down a little bit. You know, we get the, the classic, you know, Albuquerque long nails and the teeth and uh, the splashes of red as they're fighting. And the big cliffhanger for this issue is that Blotch is not the leader of the coven anymore. And he reveals who is. Uh, and this was actually a surprise because I thought he was going to reveal Skinner. <laughs> Instead, mm-hmm. he revealed Hattie, uh, Pearl's friend from the start of the book, who also became a vampire. From back in the yeah, yeah. back in the day. But uh, she's got uh, the, the Chelsea smile, you know, the, the Joker, like, cut. Uh-huh. 
from her lips to grow up her cheeks. She's got Oof. that going on. Uh, so it was a surprising cliffhanger. I, I actually, I, I didn't, I don't know if I've read, I read this far before. I think mm-hmm. I did. I'm pretty sure I did actually, but I don't I'm gonna remember. I'm going to check. This. What did she use this? Uh, 31. I gotta see if I have that in my trades. So we're so I only in, got this in trades. Yeah, so. so I think we're in volume five of yeah. the, the trades. Yeah. This doesn't seem familiar at all. So I'm, I know I read Lord of Nightmares, but that was the last thing I remember reading. Yeah. So. Uh, no, it's, it's a pretty solid issue. Um, I think this arc, I've not loved. It's, it's kind of almost hurt because the Dracula arc was so mm-hmm. good that this kind of felt a little pedestrian by by comparison. I do think this has been the best issue of this arc, though, just because all the writing and those conversations and the subtext that went along with all their feelings really worked. It was like, the entire first scene, I'm thinking, I know what Pearl's feeling, and it's making me feel a little sick inside because she's, mm-hmm. like, feeling guilty. Uh, and then the scene with Skinner, oh, Skinner's clearly acting out because he's jealous and because he wants her, and he's, you know, like, all of those things work so well. It's a really well-written comic. Uh, and the art's good too. Obviously, it doesn't get to flourishes maybe as much as you know a scene or a comic that's more action packed. This one's a lot more uh, talky, uh, mm-hmm. but obviously the the expressions look good. Uh, things like Skinner trying to look away when he's trying to leave and not talk to Peril, um, just little moments like that really help and and flesh it out. But uh, yeah. No, uh, good, good issue. Uh, excited to see what it does. I will say, like, I'm not super invested in like the hunt for this vampire necessarily. I think, like, obviously it ties back to the first arc and all that, and it's got a history with Pearl. But yeah, it, like that's not the part of the the story here that's interesting. The part of the story here that's interesting is just the personal stuff with the the main characters. Uh, unlike you know the Dracula story where it kind of succeeded on every front, where I really cared about the the threat and the menace. They really built them up. Whereas the movie producer vampire from the, you know, like he was always just kind of like a, you know, he wasn't the, the focus of that story. He was like, he was a device, he represented the elite and all that, but he wasn't like a, a big character in and of himself. So, you know, that, that would be the only critique I'd give the art per, per se, but the, mm-hmm. this issue was a, probably the best issue out of the whole bunch. So, uh, so far anyway. So I will give it a happy 8.5 out of 10. So there you go. That is uh, American Vampire 31. Uh, so that'll take us on to the part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff of the week, favourite panel slash moment, favourite cover, favourite art, and uh, top five asterisk books mm-hmm. of the week. Uh, asterisk because there isn't enough to do a top five this week. Uh, Matt, what is your panel slash moment of the week? And is it the stump? It's not the stump. Uh, I'm much more mature than that. Uh, it's going to be from Adventures of Superman. And it's going to be Injustice Superman snapping Ultraman's neck. Because <laughs> I, I really let out a holy, you know. Uh, I didn't need the claps, of course, after it. But I'm a wrestling fan. What am I going to do? Yeah, I got to just pick the same thing. Because yeah. it's the moment. It's the moment of the I, week. Yeah, I wanted to pick the stump, right? Just to add a comedy level. There's some stuff in Flash that I could have picked as well. Um, there were just, you know, that, that final barbecue scene is, is kind of nice. But nothing had the impact as Injustice Superman showing up. No, no, I think that's a fair fair pick. Uh, cover of the week, um, I quite like the super dark uh, Joe Quesada cover for Batman, but mm-hmm. uh, my pick is going to be one of the variants for Flash, which is the League Arbet cover, uh, which is just the Flash mm-hmm. running with a, a sort of red splash with yellow lightning around them. It's just simple, but just looks good. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your pick, Matt? 
Um, I mean, it was a week that Ivy comes out, and I was going to try not to be a a parody. It's not a lot of books, uh, though, so... No, that's true. Go for uh, it. But uh, Ivy does have a couple. The main cover looks real nice. I'm trying to pull them up again. Because um, there's also an Amy Reader that's got Ivy, like, laying on the ground um, and, uh, like, mushrooms sprouting up around her. There's a Seb McKinnon, like... It almost looks like Middleton one too. That's very dark and ominous. Um, I'll go with the Amy Reader one just for the iconography. Uh, looks looks real nice. Sure. Uh, all right. Uh, best art of the week. Uh, this is this is Takara with a bullet. It's my favorite art every almost every month. You know, uh, you know if there's not a uh, Shaner or any of Tom King's people, right? Uh, I'll his pick of the letter. Takara is pretty up there for me. This is, by default, I think Clayton Henry's winning yeah. for me. Yeah. I only read three books and I didn't really like the art of Batman. Too bad you can't pick Albuquerque for I know, Empire, right? I know. And Flash, you know, had three artists, so it was too all yeah. over the place. So, by default, Clayton Henry's taking mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did have the Miguel Madoncha stuff in the backup, but pretty okay, but not enough to necessitate that. I mean, that looked, that looked better than the main story, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I can't pick it just for the backup no. part. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Shocking. All right, rank your books, Matt. Go. Uh, Number one's going to be Superman, Adventures of Superman, John Kent. Two is Poison Ivy. Three is Flash. And then, you know, 50 pounds of dirt and then Batman. Uh, Number one's Adventures of Superman for me. Number two is Flash. Number three is Batman. It's that simple. (laughs) So, there you go. That That is the... The, the the rankings i will tell you what's coming out next week from dc comics we have superman lost issue two we have danger street issue five which is also the entire list of books that i'm reading from next for next week <laughs> uh also out is lazarus planet revenge of the gods issue three batman incorporated issue seven wildcats issue six batman the adventure continues season three issue four Multiversity, Harley screws up the DCU, issue two. The Sandman Universe, Nightmare Country, The Glass House, issue one. The Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries, issue seven. And Mad, issue 31. So, um, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that issue one from the, the Sandman stuff is kind of a sequel yeah. to another book. Otherwise, I might try yeah. it. But, oh well. Because uh, it's Tynan, of course. And I, I like it's, Tynan. But it is, it's yeah, it's, it's not actually really a new thing it's uh yeah. a follow-up so oh, oh well uh give us solicit dc next week please yes please give us something to talk about yeah that'd be lovely uh but yes uh Jeez, that is... and then the following week is i mean not packed packed but packed enough i mean it's just a healthy week to be honest it's not super packed yeah. it's, it's just normal but it feels it feels packed compared to these two weeks i mean i have seven in, t- in two weeks so yeah, seven's fine. Seven's like a normal yeah. amount. That's 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 perfectly fine. I'm happy with seven. Uh, you know, once you get to nine or ten, it feels like a big week. It's pushing it maybe a little bit, but you can cope. Uh, but two. <laughs> I mean, damn. Anyway, there you go. That's the that's the show. Uh, let us know what you thought of this week's comics. Uh, of course, you can, of course, uh, like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications on YouTube, or, or of course, rate the podcast on iTunes, wherever you get your podcast from. And you can support us financially over at patreon.com slash TV and feel 
warm and fuzzy on the inside. Yes, please. Uh, and whatnot. You can the five dollar tier. You get the show a little bit early, uh, late Saturday night whenever it's ready. Or or look at it this way: it'll be there for when you wake up on the Sunday, as opposed to waiting for the uh the public time. Or uh, of course, there's bonuses on there for the other like movie podcasts and stuff that that we do. So if the thought of me, uh and David talking about Street Fighter The Legend of Chun-Li from 2009, which stars, like, two or three different actors from various CWDC shows, yep. uh, including Kristen Crook, who is a horrible actress uh, in the lead role, if that sounds like a fun time. Freaking uh, <laughs> you, you can go check out that on Patreon. Uh, but that'll do the show. <laughs> if you had have told me that she would have been the least problematic female lead... I wouldn't have believed you. Well, just because she doesn't mean she was going to be problematic. <laughs> no, I know, but just about everything that happened with Allison Mack, that's always, always a shocker, you know? <laughs> Colts, kids, not even once. Uh, uh, so yeah, I'll just also thank our Patreon producers before we wrap up. So thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palaces, David Sharp, Borna, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Al Treisman. It has been a pleasure, relatively. I say relatively because I only read three books, and my ratings were... An 8.5, a 6, and a 4. So I was all over the place in terms of quality yeah. for me this week. Who needs Connor to give out low scores and Pete's here on a slow week? <laughs> That's the thing, though. It's not like I had eight books and just one or two of them stunk. Yeah. I had three books. Yeah. So so Batman stinking like, really left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, a real bad taste. <sighs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us, everyone. This has been Carlos of the Multiverse. We'll see you again next week. Keep reading comics, watch that bloody stump, and uh, remember to never get lost at the Speed Force.